Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. Hey, we're almost done with the book, aren't we? Yeah, chapter six, if you can believe it, six of seven. So uh, this is our continuing series where we're doing uh, sort of parallel, uh, giving stories and context for the various chapters. And today we're talking about commitment. And uh, particularly, I think our focus today is how engagement is not enough. And for me, that comes about because a lot of the management theory that I read these days, a lot of the management articles talk a lot about engagement. And, and our view is that that's just not sufficient. If your team's excited and interested and ready to go, surely that is enough. I mean, that would be the, the great thing. I mean, a lot of what we hear people complaining about is I've got this agile team and they stare at their shoes during the stand-up and they just can't get excited about anything. They're, they're not interested. So is, wouldn't it be better if they were? Uh, well, yes, absolutely. So engagement's certainly good. Uh, we're just saying it's not it's not sufficient. And this chapter actually is a little bit different than most of our previous ones. Um, this chapter, commitment, is really talking about uh, elements of execution. And so we're we're trying to say here about how to have an effective conversation so that you can execute effectively, not just building a shared understanding, not uh, what you're doing or why you're doing it. Uh, we're we're going uh, beyond that. Yeah, we did those in the first three chapters, trust and uh, uh, fear and why. Yes, although there is an important element here of we are trying to build a shared understanding of what it is we're committing to, because I think that we often find that that's actually uh, part of the problem is we might have people who are perfectly engaged, uh, and yet the, this uh, agreeing of what the commitment actually means is where we fall short. And you tell a story in the book about thinking, oh, it'll be done by Friday, and it comes to Friday, and done didn't mean the same thing to you as it did to the team. That's right. And I think many uh, different companies, many different teams have gone through the question of what does mean, you know, uh, what, what does done mean? Uh, it does done mean done. <laughs> yeah, we even, we haven't have a, a definition of done in Scrum and things. I don't even remember which, which methodology it's in, but there's the idea that you define what done is. Isn't that enough? Well, it, it turns out, uh, not exactly, because if we don't necessarily agree on what those pieces we're doing, uh, and there's a, a lot more than just will we know when we're done, it's what's going to be done. So there's a lot more that goes into this. I actually, in in reviewing the chapter, uh, I was reminded quite a bit of domain-driven design mm. and the goal of uh, understanding and building ubiquitous language so that everyone on the project has the same meaning for all the components. So when we say uh, an account for example, we know what we mean by an account. If we say uh, a, a project, we know what we mean by a project. If we mean a transaction, we have a shame understanding of the transaction and what those life cycles are. So it's trying we're... to solve a problem that actually I found very interesting. And I remember a very wise person, uh, Keith Braithwaite, introducing me to a book called The Big Book of Concepts. I can't remember if I ever told you about it, Jeffrey, um, but uh, there's this giant book in which a psychologist wrote down all of the uh, uh, studies, all of the results that psychologists have got in trying to understand what a concept is. What, what do we mean when we say furniture? What happens inside our brains? What models do we create? And uh, the really good thing, I read the book, but you actually don't have to. The only thing you have to know about the book is it's really big. It's like a dictionary. And the conclusion is nobody knows what a concept is. <laughs> and so if you go and ask people, for example, the classic example is you ask uh, 10 people whether a clock is furniture and you will get 10 different answers and they will, they'll be all over the spectrum. You will not get a definitive answer. If you ask, is a chair furniture, you'll get a, a clear answer. There's kind of a, a clear middle, but there's all these complexities at the edges 
And psychologists cannot figure this out. They've been trying for a very long time. They wrote a giant book about it, and they have no idea. So uh, the d domain-driven design and trying to nail down what done is, is trying to solve this problem. There's actually a bigger problem here. Now, to me, the interesting part is, though, is you know, where the problem comes in, which is that each of those 10 people that they give you their answer, they feel that their answer is obvious. Exactly. And they think everybody else knows that, too. Of course a clock is furniture. i got a grandfather clock in my sitting room. Of course. Clearly. Yeah. Clock is not furniture. What do you mean? It's this small thing that sits on the side of my bed. It sits on furniture. It's not furniture. Right. And But everyone with their own concept in their mind feel perfectly clear. And so mm -hmm. the, if you're having this a discussion, everyone has very obvious concrete examples in their mind, but they're not sharing their examples. So in effect, they're using the same word, but not agreeing on meaning. And that's what we talk about in the first part of the chapter, a whole bunch of techniques for defining what a word means through a conversation making sure that you really do align on what the concepts mean. And if it, if your application is all about furniture, do the clocks go on the furniture page or not? Another very nice one here that we should link to in the show notes is uh, Goiko Adzik's um, uh, specification by example. It's all about exactly creating those sorts of examples that can uh, uh, help you to define the meaning. But if you don't have the conversation, if you just assume that the other person knows, you're going to be in a world of trouble. And, and I think this does fit with our overall message. Remember, our, our core values that we stress right from the beginning of the book is the need for transparency and curiosity. So the ability uh, to, to be mindful to, to say that we should be sharing our examples, the exemplars that we have in our mind when we say clock, and to be curious about other people. Uh, you know, when, So when you're thinking clock, what are you thinking here? When you're, when you're saying a transaction, what are you considering a transaction? What's not a transaction? Uh, get those, those examples. Uh, and as uh, as you described, uh, the specification by example is a way of then uh, codifying those into uh, your your uh, project, and and even into your automated tests. That's right. So agreeing on a meaning is a first step for us about having a commitment conversation. Um, but then there's also this element of uh, what are we actually going to create. And uh, you were telling me about a, 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 a new problem, well, not a new problem, but a, a new phrase that you had uh, come up with, which was uh, a pile of bones. <laughs> now, we've, sure. we've talked many, many times before on this uh, podcast, I believe, about a walking skeleton, but this is the first time you've brought up a pile of bones. Tell, tell me a little bit more about that. Sure. So the, just to remind listeners, the uh, walking skeleton is an idea that goes all the way back to Alistair Coburn in the 90s. What you do is you create a system that has the very, very basics. It's not a minimum viable product. It's even more basic than that. You couldn't really put it live, but it exercises all the pieces. And then you add bones, meat, and, and flesh, and, and decoration, and clothes, and things to the skeleton until you have your whole application that actually does the whole thing. We go through several examples in the book. But I have a client who is very painfully going through the process of trying to understand all of the bones that their different components, that their different um, uh, pieces of their development team created. They, they let their development team get very fractured. And so each one worked on a tiny piece of the whole system, but they never put it together. So actually, one of the things I'm doing as they've brought me in is to say, okay, well, let's have everybody stop trying to put it together, stop trying to create all their pieces. Can you just tell me what pieces we've got? Because they're not even sure. And because they had never tried to put any of the pieces together, they don't work together, which is no surprise. And they're having a terrible time delivering the system, no surprise. 
and they uh, have had no chance for feedback. So the few times that someone has actually tried out a couple of pieces trying to work together, a, a, a bit of an arm, for example, they say, this is completely wrong. This is not what I'm looking for. And uh, this is the sort of thing that is the kind of worst example. The, this is kind of the worst case that you can get to. But I bet our listeners have many examples of uh, partial piles of bones rather than walking skeletons, because this is a very common pattern. And this is a case where each particular bone, uh, they they were there was very clear meaning. Uh, oh yeah, they had d detailed requirements. They had a full specification. They were doing their unit tests and they're uh, verifying within their own piece that it worked correctly. The problem is nothing worked together. Right, and uh, it, when I hear this story, to me it takes me way way back to the to the pre agile days and the problems of uh, upfront design and um, documentation driven development. Uh, so very uh, minute specifications of, of each piece, but not a good way to say, does it all fit together? And when it all fits together, is it actually giving us what we want? So part of this walking skeleton is sort of a technical learning, but also then to say, you know, do we have a, a shape overall that we think works for us? And what makes the, the, the walking skeleton so valuable is it gives you a way to a place to hang your commitments. So you can say, I'm now making a commitment that these two pieces will work together by tomorrow. I'm making a commitment that I will be able to send a null message from point A to point B. The message won't do anything yet. It won't be valuable. You can't give it to customers, but it'll be valuable in the sense that I know that the message traffic can actually pass over the wire that I'm intending to use. And using that kind of a framework gives you a way to gradually build up the system and avoid the pile of bones that my client wound up with because they would have been able to say very early, these two don't fit together. You've got this putting the data in the wrong place for that one and the, there's nothing coming out in the graph. That would have been very helpful to them. Uh, if they, they had had it, they would not wind up with a pile of bones. That's right. And so this, we can say kind of why we say engagement is not enough. You might have people who are perfectly engaged, really trying to solve the problem uh, um, thinking creative, creatively, and yet mm -hmm. they they can go awry in uh, various ways, including uh, not actually agreeing on what is they're trying to build without realizing it. And so, in a sense, building uh, different pieces out of alignment and agreeing on meaning gives you the 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 way to kind of define it up front to understand what you're going to be doing. And the walking skeleton and avoiding the pile of bones gives you a way to understand what's happening uh, as it's going. So you can correct and say, wait a minute, we, we're not aligned on what these words mean. Right. And the for me, the, one of the problems is when people skip over these steps, this agreement meeting and this uh, walking skeleton, or the other any other sort of steps they might take to ensure they're getting the right outcome, then what can happen is that engagement can end up turning into disengagement. Uh, you have people who start off very excited, and but then when things start falling apart, when it turns out that they, they've put effort and time into it, and then they're told, you know, this is terrible, this is not what we wanted, or they end up failing to deliver in, in some fashion, then uh, they start to feel like, well, you know, this is, this is hopeless. Uh, and I, I often see this happen when you go through a sort of intermediate phase where first people are engaged and they're committed, but they haven't really been committed to the right thing. And then they, they start having problems, but they're, they're not sure how to, how to correct them. And so then you go through a phase of compliance where they're like, okay, uh, this isn't working, but I, I guess we're supposed to just keep working on this. That's what we've been told to do. And, and hey, my piece, I understand at least. I've got a specification. I guess I'll just build that. That's where my client was. 
That's right. So so people will uh, be less committed to the overall project, the overall deliverable, and instead they they try to look at something small that they can uh, can do. And in that sort of their way of being compliant with the direction of, you know, we'll just do this, we'll let it find, I'll do something. I'll do something that I feel confident about. And this is kind of a defensive mindset now. People are now beginning to operate, not because they think that what they're doing is going to be successful, but rather because they're saying, well, this is what I need to do to avoid uh, being embarrassed or avoid being attacked, avoid being criticized. Well, hey, Jeffrey, you know, I'm, I'm just going to do my best. Uh, this project's in a lot of trouble, but that's not my fault. I'm just going to do my best to make sure that my piece works. This is the kiss of death. <laughs> exactly. That's right. <laughs> and and then uh, finally, you can get uh, the ultimately when people realize that this is not working and that, uh, yes, they may be defending what they're doing, but overall, uh, th this is just not going to be successful. Then ultimately, you end up with people being disengaged. And the reason I, I think is that people really want to be part of successful projects and they're willing to do extra effort to help the projects being successful if they know what work is uh, going to be helpful. When that's not possible, uh, the, the question I ask people in a one-on-one -on -one will be, are you able to do work that you're proud of? And when they feel they cannot do work that they're proud of, they really can't maintain engagement. And you're espousing theory Y there, of course, which we, we back strongly and explain more in the book. Theory X, of course, would say, yes, you can give people orders to do all the pieces, and they don't really care anyway, uh, so they're just going to uh, be disengaged, so there's no point. But we're endorsing the idea that maybe engagement could be useful, but it's just not quite enough. You need to make sure that it's properly directed and that there's a feedback mechanism so you can figure out when it's not. And that comes back to having a conversation. That's right. All right. Well, thanks to listeners for uh, hearing us out on this topic. If you're interested, of course, you can buy the book Agile Conversations, link in the show notes as always. And you can get in touch with us if you're trying these out, if you're having trouble with commitment, if your uh, difficulty is uh, that you're creating a pile of bones and you're not quite sure how to put it together. That's something we like to talk to people about. So you can find us on Twitter and email. Uh, everything's on conversationaltransformation.com. So you can go have a look there if you're interested. By the way, there's also an events page there, and we have two exciting events coming next week. We're speaking as a key at a keynote as um, at IT Pro Live, and I believe that's on Monday next week. And then on Tuesday next week, uh, we're speaking at the uh, DevOps Enterprise Summit uh, London, which is not actually London. It's actually just the world, as most things <laughs> seem to be these days. So if you're interested in hearing us uh, riff on more of these topics, you can certainly do that there. And finally, of course, if you hit the subscribe button, you'll hear us every Wednesday as we come out with more troubleshooting agile. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Carl.